We are in a brand new series today. We're kicking it off. It's a series through the book of Philippians. We're going to be going through it in seven weeks. You're going to go, well, pastor, that's a short book. How are you going to stretch it into seven weeks? And I'll say, I am gifted that way. Uh, You're going to find out today just how slow we can go. Praise God. We are in part one. This series is entitled Ambassadors of the Kingdom ambassadors of the kingdom, and I entitled today's message, The Author and Finisher. Now, before we dive into the book of Philippians, I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank by having you turn to a different passage. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 19, verse 28? John chapter 19, verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, or should we one under the seat in front of you, that's page 906. 906. I'm reading out of the ESV if you're following along. ESV, that's the English Standard Version. John chapter 19, verse 28, page 906. All right. Most of you are familiar with this story. If you are a Christian, you know that this is the last few moments of Jesus Christ's uh, time on the cross. He has been crucified and he is just about to finish that process. Here's what it says It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now what? Finished. Said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is what? Finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? We're 2,000 years later. A lot of stuff still happened. He is about to die for the sins of mankind. What was finished? Here we are 2,000 years later watching all that he has done. What do you mean finished? We still are looking forward to all kinds of stuff. So what was finished? When God says it's finished, it's finished. So what was finished? Well, I got a little list for you. Here's the way I see it. Jesus had finished living a perfect life so that he could trade for our damaged one, our traumatized one, our sin-filled one. He did everything perfect so that we could have that righteousness. He finished raising up the foundational pieces of what would become the church, his body here on earth when he goes to heaven. He had finished all the preparation to walk into death to die for the sins of mankind. He finished demonstrating that the kingdom of God has been launched once again here in this world and the gates of hell would not prevail. He had finished both a demonstration of what the Father is really like while at the same time simultaneously showing us a demonstration of what good humanity would really look like following the Lord. You see, the the fill-in-the-blank on the sheet in front of you or on your app is this. God finishes what he starts. God finishes what he starts. In this brand new series, we're going to follow the theme of the year, right? Year of the King. We know who the true king of all creation is, and that is who? Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. We got that one nailed down. We know what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is anywhere that his influence 
is happening. Anywhere that he rules is the kingdom of God. That can be within me, that can be within our church, that can be within your home, that can be within a neighborhood fully sold out to him. Wherever God is being glorified, we have the kingdom of God. All right, so we're going to finish this year out just having finished a series talking about what it means to live into the kingdom. We want to now say, what does it look like to live out the kingdom? What does it look like to invite other people into the kingdom? How do we have it be a part of our practical lives day in and day out? And what you're going to find is that I'm going to consistently use the phrase ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is an authorized representative of a nation while living in a foreign nation. What does that mean? It means we are Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we are still currently living here in a world that has a lot of dominance and authority of the enemy. So in other words, we are foreigners on foreign soil, but our heads and our hearts are in heaven, right? Now, ambassadors like embassies are mobile members of another country who live in the mindset and the resources of their home country. Are you living as heaven on earth? That's the key that I'm trying to drop in here. In order to study that, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it's page 980. 980, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. If you try to find that on your own, drop your Bible open in the middle. You're eventually going to hit the New Testament. Now, if you don't just go to the page number, you're going to have to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Boom, you're there. Yes, right? But if you get lost, there's a bunch of other Ians in there, and they're very misleading. We're looking for Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. It begins like this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now, this is a traditional way that you would open an ancient Greek or Roman letter. This was now the Roman Empire, and so Paul was copying the standard way of writing a letter, which I think is better than ours, quite frankly. Here's why. Whenever somebody sends you a letter, you have to wait till the end to find out who sent it. Have you noticed that? So it says, Dear Lance, yeah, I know me. I don't need to know me. I want to know who you are. You wrote the letter. Dear Lance, blah, 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 blah. Turn the page. Blah, 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 blah. Love, Betty. Or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't know it's from Betty till you get to the end. When they started it, they would just kick it out at the beginning. Hey, it's me writing you a letter. I like that. That's way better. All right, so he said, Philippians it is Paul and my buddy Timothy. We are writing you a letter. You know those guys? If you don't know those guys, let me tell you the story. You see, Paul wasn't always known as Paul. He was known as Saul, right? Now, Saul grew up in what we now call modern-day Turkey. Towards the south area, not too far from Ankara, there's a little town called Tarsus. I got a chance to go over there a number of years ago in a study trip got to go into his hometown and they have like a, what would it look like if they did an archeological dig or what it looked like for the house of a first century. And there's not a whole lot there to be honest with you. Well, this Saul was raised not simply as a good Christian boy, a good Jewish boy, excuse me, because 
he was orthodox. He was hardcore. He was uber religious. If we're going to talk about orthodox Jews, now when we talk about that, we always think about the guys with the curls, right? Uh, and they got the cool hats and all that stuff, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean orthodox in the sense that he is a Jew through and through. Everything about his life was Jewish. He was so Jewish, he became a master of the law. What that means is in our world, he's, he's a Pharisee. That means that he knows everything backwards and forwards. He knows the Old Testament super well, and he's super intense about morality. He does everything right. This guy was so stubborn and driven that he said, you know what? I'm going to be all about this, and anyone that stands in the way of God, I'll just shut him down. Now, we all think of that, and we go, wow, that, that's cool. The world needs some people like that. Well, I'll tell you this. He starts hearing about this brand new movement. The brand new movement are called Christians. Now, the Christians are following some guy who apparently was born and grew up around Nazareth, right? Allegedly born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, then had his home base in Capernaum. Whoever this guy was is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This guy was claiming to be God. Now, to a Jew, if you want to tick him off, claim to be God. That doesn't go so well. And he's like, I'm sorry, he said what? Oh, he said he was the son of God, equal to God. He said that he's the bread that came down from heaven. He said that he's been to heaven, that he and the Father are one. He said, as a matter of fact, that, oh, you've heard it said this in the law, but I tell you, this is what God really meant. Oh, Paul's not having it, right? So this guy named Saul of Tarsus, he starts, what, getting real agitated. And he's thinking, you never blaspheme, you cannot spout heresy, I will take you out. He's like, let me at him. They're like, well, he died. He's like, all right, well, that's good. Well, he got up again. Well, no, he did not. Well, people think he did. So now there's a bunch of Christians out there saying that he's alive and they are promoting his ways. Well, Saul went ballistic, began to be part of a team that would go out and hunt down Christian leaders. As a matter of fact, the first recorded Christian martyr was an incredible man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is talking about God, and this group surrounds him, and they throw rocks at him until he dies. You see, Saul was so into this that he's like, guys, I've thrown enough rocks already, so you know what? Hey, you don't want your coat on. You need to be able to reel back and throw those things pretty hard, so I'll just hold your coats. And everyone gave him his coats, and he just watched while they killed this man. And then he just wipes off his hands, let's go take some others out. And so he would go out on these trips attacking Christian leaders. Well, it's on one of these trips on the way to Damascus that he's going down the road, and this bright, shining light blinds him. And he hears a voice, and the voice says, Saul... Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's thinking, persecuting you? I don't even know who you are. He's like, yeah, that's your problem, buddy. My name is Jesus Christ, and anyone you hurt on my team is hurting me. It was there at that moment that he realized 
he had been climbing a ladder against the wrong wall. He had been trying to defend God when in fact he ended up hurting God. Everything spun in his mind and he had no idea who he was anymore. By the time the light shut off, his sight was not restored. He had to be led into the city by other people holding on to his hands. He was left blind until God got the attention of another believer and said, I want you to go over and see this Saul guy for me. And that guy's going, heck no, there is no way I'm doing that. That guy's a psychopath. I am not going into his house or anywhere around him. And if you want to bless him, you do that on your own time. Don't do it with me. And that's when God had to convince him and say, hey, buddy, you work for me. Let me explain something to you. This man is who I am working with right now. I'm going to transform his life. Now, even though it's not your business, he is going to suffer an awful lot for me. Now, we find out later what did he suffer? Man, beaten with rods, thrown into prison over and over, shipwrecked multiple times, lashed unto the point of death been stoned to death and had to be resurrected just to keep doing his ministry. I mean, this guy was in danger, the Bible says, in the water. He was in danger on the land. He was in danger in the country. He was in danger in the city. Like, everything was brutal in this guy's life. But God took this hard-headed, stubborn little guy, and he turned him 180 degrees, and he became one of the greatest Christian evangelists of all time. He changed his name to Paul because he felt like he was living out a new identity. Hmm. Who do you think is untouchable by God? Who are you praying for that you're going, man, they're never going to get saved? I can tell you right now, they're not a harder case than Paul. Because he went from a Christian killer to an evangelist in a very short amount of time. You see, Paul called himself the chief of sinners. He said, you know what? When I look out and about and all the stuff that I've done, I weep. Because you know what? The rest of my ministry life, I've had to go around the world, all the people I scattered out there, all the people that I hurt. I have to go and minister to the families of people that I not only threw in prison, but some of them I murdered. So bottom line is, I feel like I'm the worst guy in Christianity. If God can save me, he can save anybody. Do you think that you're the hard case? That somehow God can't forgive your sins? That if Pastor Lance really knew what you did, I would agree with you. No, I don't agree with you. I agree with Jesus Christ. And what he says is wherever sin abounds, grace abounds more. That's what I know. There is no one that is too far from the hand of God. There is no one that has done too much that God cannot redeem. So I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what you did. It doesn't even matter what you did. It matters what he can do. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. That's Paul. Who's Timothy? Well, Timothy is his right-hand man. It's his protege, his apprentice. Picture this, so there's this young guy growing up and his dad's kind of out of the picture. He's living kind of with his mom and his grandma. They're fired up for God. And so Timothy is just this soft-hearted, kind of totally different personality than Paul. But one day, Paul comes through town and he ends up preaching the gospel, and Timothy's like, dude, I am in. I'm all Christian all the time. That's awesome. Well, by the time Paul comes on his second missionary journey, he comes through and realizes how much this young kid is all in. 
And he's looking at him and going, man, you are gifted. You and I are not the same, but dang, I know God has anointed you. I've laid my hands on you. I know you are gifted. I know you're ready to go into the ministry. How about you follow me? How about you become my apprentice? How about you become my protege? And indeed, they fuse together and they continue doing ministry moving forward. And what's intriguing about it is this is kind of how I picture their conversation at the beginning that he would say, Timothy, it's going to be hard. And he's like, yes, sir, it'll be very difficult. I'm willing to do anything for you and Jesus Christ. Paul's like, you do understand, dude, people are going to try to hunt us down. They're going to try to shut us down. We're probably going to be in prison together. It's going to get ugly. No problem. I can handle anything God throws at me. All right, well, you're going to need to get circumcised. Well, sir, I'm out. So probably not the best choice right now. I think that mom actually has some things I need to get done. And Right? Well, he did anyway, and he joined in. You see, they were so tight together, and he had learned so much from Paul that, as a matter of fact, whenever Paul had a super big problem, like he had a church that was like on the midst of exploding and falling apart, and it was a terrible situation, who would he send? Timothy. Why? Because Timothy was as good as him being there himself. Man, when you got somebody that is so trained up in your way, when somebody so follows your example to the hilt, man, you can send them anywhere. And Timothy was real special to the Philippians. And so when he launches a letter, he said, hey, it's me, Paul, writing the letter. You know my buddy, Timothy. And they're like, yeah, I love that guy. He's like, great. Well, we have some things that we want to talk to you about. That's how the letter begins. Paul and Timothy, does it say servants of Christ Jesus? Is that what it says? You sure? Well, that's what it says in your Bible. Let me, let me ask you a quick question. What do you call someone that is owned by someone else? Slave. You call him a slave. So the word is actually better slave. Now, slavery in the first century is different than the horrific slavery that happened on American soil. American soil is the nastiest of types of slavery. Whole different ballgame. In the first century, slavery was the majority of the Roman Empire. So it ended up being a bit more where people could still accelerate and rise up and be you know, used at the highest levels. So they started calling it kind of like a servanthood concept. But make no mistake, you're owned. You don't get to make your own decisions for your life. Anything that happens with that is a slave. They use that word. How do they define themselves? Slaves of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means Jesus set me free and I willingly laid it all down in front of him. I'm all about submission. I'm all about whatever he wants. I don't even have an agenda. You want to talk about what my agenda is? It's whatever Jesus wants today. That's it. I don't have another plan. I don't have another life. I'm not building any other kingdom. It's all Jesus or nothing. That is my world. There is no way for me to be able to tell where Jesus starts and I stop. So if you want to know me, I'm a slave of the king. That's it. Man, how powerful is that? Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. The best ambassador is one who embodies the home country. The best ambassador is one who embodies the home country. You see, we have missional communities here at Bridgeway. It's our version of small groups. And we assembled a bunch of them together for some of our series where people could process sermon stuff. You probably, some of you have been involved in those in our last series. We're doing it again with this Philippian series. So if you're not in a group, 
man, it'd be great for you to get into a group. You just go on our website, bridgeway.church, but you just put forward slash MC for missional community, and you can connect in with Miss Heather Johnson. She'll get you plugged in. I'm in one of those groups myself, which, by the way, is super awkward for me because in those groups, we watch clips of me. Man, that is so messed up. And so I'm in one with Pastor Brian Kiley um, and a couple of the other guys. And sure enough, they're like, so what he said on the... I'm like, what do you mean what he said? I'm right here, right? So I have to watch my dumb video and I'm like, why are you walking like that? Why are you talking like that? What is wrong with your clothing? What, you know? So I'm overanalyzing myself and they're like, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but what's so awesome about being in a group is that because whatever I preach, I have to live. Whatever I preach, I have to internalize. Well, a lot of the time, I'm so worried about getting it right to get it out to you, I don't have time to sit in it. And so being in a smaller group setting where I can actually process it with other believers is probably the best way for me to grow, right? So because of those groups are going to continue on through this series, I'm going to give you a couple things about what you're going to be talking about in your group. So I just said the best ambassador is one who embodies the home country. So here's what you're going to be talking about in your groups. How well do you embody the home country of heaven here on earth? How well do you embody the home country of heaven here on earth? Are you so earthly that people don't even know you're a citizen of heaven? Can, does everybody come to you only for earthly advice? or can they come to you for supernatural advice? If someone needs prayer, will they bypass you to get to somebody who's really into it? Y'all following me? This is the question that we need to discuss with one another because our job is to be ambassadors and representatives of our home country of heaven. Everybody should know that, including our neighbors. All right, so let's continue on. This is uh, a letter. He's writing a letter. Who's the letter going to? This is very, very personal. About 10 years before this was written, Paul had planted this church personally. It's in Philippi. It's in a Roman colony. It's in Greece. Um, and he wrote this. I'll talk about it a little bit. So he wrote it, he said, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. What's a saint? Now, if you come from a Roman Catholic background or you come from maybe an Orthodox background, you have an answer for this. It's kind of like the people that are set apart. They're a, they're a special group of people. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that a saint is anyone chosen by God and set apart for his purposes. What are his purposes? To live as Jesus would in this life. So you know what a saint is? It's you. That's the thing. See, we're saints. Now, there's this kind of overused example, which I'm going to use it again. Uh, back in the day, all these pastors used this, and I thought it was super cute. It was the, there's a, a story about the little kid that was in an old church where there was stained glass everywhere. And he used to look up, and it was a Catholic church, so he would see all the saints around in the stained glass. And he loved to see it in the morning because it was all beautiful and lit up. And so the priest said to him, he said, hey, does anybody know what a saint is? And the little guy said, yeah, the saint is anyone that the sun shines through, right? And it's the idea that what you want to talk about who we are. You're a saint. Why? Because the sun shines through you, right? That's it. 
A saint is not special in who they are, it's special in who he is. We are called jars of clay, but we're filled with the most glorious of all creation. We're filled with the glorious of the uncaused cause, the prime mover. We're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence. That means that we're shining. So if he can shine out of you, you're a saint. That's just how it works. He said to all the saints, you're going to hear the phrase all and every and us. You'll keep hearing plural phrases. Why? Because later on in the letter, you're going to find out this church was struggling with division. And so Paul wanted to be real clear up front. We're all in this together. Everybody is in the same boat. He's going to highlight a couple functions, overseers and deacons, but I'll tell you what those are in a moment. Where do they live? They live in Philippi. Now, if you're not good at geography, let me, let me give you a little uh, uh, picture in your mind. Picture a wishbone where the connector's at the top and it kind of spreads down to the right side and the left side. On the right side in the Mediterranean world, on the right side is Asia Minor, which is basically Turkey. Turkey goes off to one side, and then Greece is the other side, and it goes around the Mediterranean Sea. So you have these two areas. Now, once again, I got a chance to go over there, and you know what Turkey looks like? Greece. Great, except it's cheaper. So anyway, uh, we got a chance to go there, and we went up one side. Now, the Greeks and the Turks do not get along. Now, they have not got along ever, but they still don't get along. Why, how do I know that? Because they don't work together. When we had our bus go all the way up to the bridge that was between Asia Minor and Europe, we had to get off our bus, take all of our luggage, and walk it across a bridge because they do not connect. We went all the way across the bridge on our own and had to reload onto another bus, and then we could start hanging out in Greece. Now, if you really want to tick off a Turk, here's what you do. You go, man, I love the Greek Isles <laughs> because they call them the Turkish Isles and they've been fighting over them forever, so please don't say that, right? Is you realize this whole area of the world where two continents are coming together is a big deal. Right when you cross into Greece, you come upon Philippi, not too soon thereafter. Philippi was named after Alexander the Great's dad. What's his name? Philip. Yeah. So it's called Philip I, right? Which, very simple, very easy. But it was Roman, Roman, Roman. It was a Roman colony. It was a big deal. Everybody had Roman citizenship. It was a, a big deal to the Roman Empire to have an outpost out there. It was in the general region of Macedonia. Why is Paul there? Well, that's actually a story told in Acts chapter 16, let me just read it to you. So setting sail from the beach of Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. You know why this is so significant? It's the reason we are having church right now. Why? This is the first church in Europe. This is the first Christian church established in Europe. And the whole thing is we all came and brought it over from Europe and brought it here to America. The whole reason we have Protestant Christian churches is this church right here. Who did it get started with? A small group of women at Starbucks. That's how it went, right? These women came together at the Riverside Edge. It was only women. The first church of all of Europe was only women. You see, Paul came in and Lydia was like, man, I... I can do this. Let's, let's do it at my house. I got a big enough house. She was a dealer in purple goods. Why is that important? Because back then, you don't get to go to Walmart and buy dye. You actually had to make it yourself, and the way to make purple was super expensive. So anything that was dyed purple was expensive. So if you ever think about why back in that Roman colony time they would have the kings and queens would have purple on, it was that you could tell by the color how expensive it was. She was a manufacturer of purple stuff. That means she's loaded. She has a whole household. She has all these servants and everything else. She's got a big place. She's like, Paul, let's just launch this whole thing at my house. And sure enough, he planted it there. So I want you to know what we owe our history to. A big group of women that said yes to Jesus Christ and welcome to today. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Well, he said, I'm writing to the overseers and the deacons as well. And this is where some of us go, oh, now we're getting into church structure. All right, now we're talking about the big dogs. Uh, hold on. The word for overseer is the word where we get bishop from. And you're like, oh, I know that. Those are the guys with the big hats, right? You're like, that's kind of a cool thing. Like, he's probably a, a big deal. You know what, what bishop means? It means the one who cares for someone. That's all it means. And then it talks about the deacons, diakonos in Greek. You know what that means? The one who serves. So who are the big dogs of the church? The care for ones and the servants. If you want to talk about structure in a church, you want to talk about who's a big dog, you're simply talking about who serves more. That's it. It's just serving. It's interesting. I was recently in a meeting where we were talking about some high-level stuff with a local New Testament scholar, and he said something that stunned me. He said, whenever we're talking about church and someone in church is arguing about their rights, we're no longer talking about Christianity. Because the whole idea of my rights to lord something over you instantly negates Christianity. Because Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So he set this concept of we're not going to play the power game at church. We serve one another. That's how it goes, right? It might be well for us to be thinking about that when we start trying to figure out who should jockey for position in what area of the church. No, 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 no. We're all in the same boat. Let's just get this stuff done together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, go to verse 2. 
Amen. Thank you. <laughs> We're flying. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, are all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What did he just say? Grace and peace to you. Now, in that day, all the letters would start out usually with a ver version of that, but they would say rejoice. So if I was to write you a letter, I'd say, it's Lance talking to you, Bob, rejoice. That's kind of how it would always start. Paul switched it and made it more Christian. He took the word, altered it from its root, and said, grace. What is grace? Unearned favor from God above. You are blessed by a God who reached down and grabbed you. It is not earned by you. It is not maintained by you. It is not because of your works. It is because he is so loving and so filled with grace that he pours it down on his kids. You not only got saved by grace, you are being retained by grace. You live in grace. And he said, that makes everything different. Grace to you from God. And that result of that grace is what? The next word, shalom. If you have the grace of God, you have the presence of peace. That means that if God handled everything necessary, you can rest and relax knowing that he will finish it. Does that make sense? Shalom doesn't just mean the absence of problems. It also means the presence of everything you need in God. Imagine that if we only lived in the grace and peace of God, how different our lives would be. So he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. Wait. What did he just say? I thank my God. My God? Let me ask you a quick question. Do you ever use that language? That he's your God? Or are you still playing the game that he's the church's God, or he's your spouse's God, or he's your kid's God, or he's your parent's God, or he's your friend's God, but you don't start using it as a personal, he's my God? Do you understand if all the rest of us were incinerated in this moment and you're here, he is your God? Do you understand he does not just dwell for other people, he's here for you personally that i want you to walk around with the idea that you are a child of god that makes him your father that's the personalness that we need to be walking with that it is not simply a religion it's not a system it's not simply a faith it is a relationship with god he's your god don't let anybody else take him away from you he's your god so he says, I thank my God for your partnership from the beginning till now. Well, you realize in the beginning, it started with Lydia. Lydia was already financing his operation. What you're going to find is there's multiple gifts they gave. They've been funding his operation for about 10 years now. That's a big deal. If you take notes, write this down. The Philippians saw church as a partnership co-op, not a club to attend. The Philippians saw church as a partnership co-op, not a club to attend. What's the difference between a club and a co-op? A club, you pay dues, 
and then you just attend and appreciate what they give you. A co-op means you're part of the workforce. Let me give you an example. So when my girls were little, they're now 18 and 15, when my girls were little, we had to pick out a preschool for them, right? So there's a bunch of different versions of preschool that you can have preschools out there that are academic and preschools that are environmental and all this stuff. Well, we like the idea of this one preschool that was very experiential because they believe this incredible concept that before a child can go into academics, they need to have experience. What do I mean? If you say the phrase, hey, honey, we're going to add one apple plus one apple, and that's going to give us two apples. That is only helpful if you know what an apple is. Does that make sense? Because you can't get to the academics of it if you're not sure what in the world you're talking about, right? So what they do is they have the kids interact with as much different things that would be used in academics and they play with it so they know what an apple and an orange is or they know what this is and this is. That way they can start in kindergarten on a track of academics. So anyway, love this concept, but it's expensive there. So to keep the money down, it was actually a co-op. You know what a co-op means? It means me or Susie were working there, which means that I'm the one because it was such an experiential place. The kids were able to use water and they always had to plant extra clothes, right? They're a mess. They're in the sand. They're doing all this experience stuff. So I'm the one shaking out the rugs constantly. I'm the one sweeping everything up. I'm the one filling in all the holes that they just dug. I'm in there part of it. I'm part of their educational experience. That's a co-op. Welcome to the Bridgeway Co-op. Thank you. Amen? You are not just paying dues and then coming and hanging out. We are never going to go further than you allow us. The church will not go until you're involved. There are a lot of places that this church is not currently going because the gifts to take us there and the leadership to take us there dwell with you. And until you lead us, we're not going. I'm telling you, there are so many gifts and talents and abilities in this church, and there's stuff that we could do that is crazy life-changing, but currently we are not doing it because it does not dwell with our current staff's abilities. We need you. So in your groups, what am I going to be having us talk about? In what way are we supporting the church and using our gifts here at Bridgeway? In what way are we supporting the church? You guys, we're a co-op. We're in this together. This is our family. So what are we doing together? How are you a part of that? This is a movement that's going to transform incredible community pieces. Are you a part of it? And if so, what are you doing? We need you. Let's finish it out with verse 6, probably our favorite part of the whole passage. Paul said, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, how cool is that? He is confident that whatever God starts, God finishes. I don't know whether or not that means that you're worried about whether or not your kids are ever going to come back to Christ. He who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. I don't know if this is a prayer for a spouse who now is just bitter at the church and won't even attend church with you. But if they have tasted of the Lord, he who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. I don't know 
whether or not it is your coworker that you've been ministering to and you haven't seen any movement, but you know that they heard the gospel, you know that they've seen your love demonstrated, you know that they know something about it, but they just don't care right now. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You see, God knows how to finish what he starts. In our groups, we're gonna be answering those questions. What work has he begun in your lives that it's gonna take a while to come to fruition or completion? How can we encourage each other to hang in there during the difficult times while we wait for God to continue his work? Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Here's how we're gonna close. I wanna pray for two groups of people. The first group of people are those of us that are discouraged about our own walk with God. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit hard to get up every day and go to church on the weekends because we feel like we're a failure. We feel like, man, I've been trying and trying, but I never seem to get anywhere. I have the same habitual sin. I feel like I'm spinning in the same way. God, I'm discouraged. I don't know if I'm doing Christianity right. Sometimes I'm wondering if I'm even walking with you, God. Because when I look at my life, I'm looking at my sin, and you cleansed it, but wow, there's a lot of it still sitting there. For those of you that are discouraged, we're gonna pray for you. The second group that I'm gonna pray for is those of us that have been praying like crazy for someone else, and we're not seeing any movement. God, did you give up on them? God, are we like done? Like it's been 10 years that I'm praying for this stuff. God, what, what's your plan, right? Because we assume that everything is microwavable. We assume that if God takes too long, he must have gave up. But you see, God doesn't give up. Let's just bow our heads and pray. If you are currently struggling right now in your own personal walk with discouragement, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Let's raise our hands to heaven. Anybody wrestling with discouragement? Yeah? Yep. Okay, who else? Yep. All right. You raise your hand to the Lord. You can put it down. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, for those of us that raised our hands, we are discouraged. God, you know that, and you said you do not have because you do not ask. So right now, Lord, we're going to ask for encouragement. We're going to ask, Lord, that you would sweep in and lift us up off our feet once again. Would you restore within us the excitement, the power, the joy, the new adventure? Lord, would you allow your love and our love for you to be so strong that the world pales in comparison, that we would be able to let all that go, that Father, distraction would not be the daily word, but Lord, that the word of today would be worship and connection and intimacy and fire. God, I just pray that you would lift up my brothers and sisters that raise their hands, that Lord, you would scoop them up, allow their backs to feel straight and strong, that their chins would be up, that they would be able to look up to heaven and know that their heavenly father is watching over them at all moments. God, would you just refresh us today? How many of you have been praying for someone else and not seeing any movement and you've gotten discouraged? Anybody got that? Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a bunch of us, right? Okay, we lifted that up to God. Heavenly Father, we lift them up afresh to you. To be honest, God, we gave up a long time ago. We thought that you had given up as well. But Lord, you don't give up. 
You are constantly moving. You are looking for a transformation of the deepest sort. You're not going to rush that. You're not going to ignore that. You're not going to do it in a hurried or a harried way. Lord, we trust you right here, right now, while our head is clear. We trust you on what you're doing with our loved ones, the people that you have placed upon our heart. God, the only reason we're so concerned about it is because you were concerned about it in the first place. So Lord, we trust you. Would you bring movement in their lives? God, would you show us little indicators, little visions of what is going to happen in the future? Would you give us those encouragements to say, keep praying, my kids, we're gonna do this. God, strengthen us today. Lord, would you anoint the altar that as we close this service, all the needs of heaven would be met here in this place. Lord, if there are physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual needs, may the ambassador standing up here for the kingdom be able to deliver from your heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.